Happy Campus Pastor. It's great to have you with us today. Uh, throughout this series, we've been taking time to uh, hear God's Word, read to us, respond uh, to God's Word. And so today, I've asked Jake Brandenburg to come. Jake is a senior and in our River Ministries. And, uh, you know, we're just celebrating you, man. You, you are going to crown in the fall. That's super exciting. Good insight. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, told him, I told him I wouldn't ask him any questions or put him on the spot, and I lied to you. I'm sorry. I, that was bad. Um, but no, seriously, we appreciate you being willing to do this. And as, as you can imagine, uh, coming, up, coming up front and reading from uh, the front can be uh, somewhat intimidating. Uh, but uh, Soren did it a few weeks ago. Jake's doing it this week. And it's super cool to see our students engaging in God's Word. And so uh, if you would be so willing to stand up, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 57 and go through uh, verse 80. If you have your Bibles, we would encourage you to go ahead and open uh, and follow along on your own uh, Bible. But we also have it up on the screen Mr. Jake, would you lead us in the reading of God's word? Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the, land, the whole country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesying, saying, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us and in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham that grant, that to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Thank you, Jake. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you and praise you and ask, O oh Lord, that you would be exalted and lifted up. And as we get into your word today, Lord, we do pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, recognizing that words matter, that these words actually form a context that directs our behavior. And so, Lord, when we look at your word, when we hear your word, let us respond in faith to you. We're thankful, Almighty God, for the fact that you have fulfilled prophecy, 
that you have fulfilled what you said you would do and the way that you said you would do it. And Lord, we, we would even ask to join you today, that you would be lifted up and exalted. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Words matter. Words matter. Oh, they matter for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is this, that words help form a context of behavior. In other words, the words that we speak direct us and guide us in, in our context and, and following up with our behavior. So words matter. And we see this really clearly throughout the passage, throughout Luke chapter 1, and really throughout the entire book of Luke. Uh, Luke was a unique man. He was a physician, an eyewitness to some of the biblical narrative, a friend of the early church, and author of two New Testament books. Words mattered to Luke, and they should matter to us. We identified early on that Luke puts this juxtaposition in play of life on one hand and death on the other, and that we are placed in this position of making some choices. Will we choose life? Or will we choose death? The, the choices in front of us and the opportunity for us to choose is present. He used his words uniquely, specifically drawing our attention to some narratives. Those narratives of Abraham and of Sarah. Reminding us that God uniquely and specifically uh, is the ordainer of life. And that in God's kingdom looks dynamically different than the kingdom of the world. And God's kingdom is defined by life. Not just that, but as we begin to look through the narrative that Luke presents, we, we also saw the story of Moses and the freedom that is given to the children of Israel as they obediently follow God and leave slavery and walk toward the promised land. The narrative continues and gives allusion to Joseph and how Joseph was the one that God used in powerful ways to give life to an entire nation and those outer areas that relied on Egypt and extended life to them indeed. Luke wants us to know that this message is a deep message. It's a well, and it's a well of life for us to drink from, and therefore, words matter. And so as we jump into these words, we're going to look at some observations from this passage. As we look at these observations, we're going to try to understand them in the context that they were given, and we're going to try by extension to see how that plays into our own lives. Again, we're in Luke chapter 1, verse 57, and we're going to walk through some observations together. Here is the first one. The birth reminded people that the Lord had shown great mercy to Elizabeth. And at first blush, we grab a hold of that, uh, that sentence and we go, oh yeah, that showed mercy to her because she's pregnant. And that makes a lot of sense to us just on the surface. And that is certainly true, but that's not all of it. In fact, as we dig in, we're going to see uh, a little bit more. Uh, mercy, rather, can be defined as not getting what we deserve, not getting what we deserve. I'll give you an example of that. I was 16 years old 
and had recently gotten my license. I worked at a fast food restaurant, and that, ras that, <laughs> that rascally restaurant is what I was going to say, scheduled the 16-year-old for a very early morning shift, pre-6 a.m., and the 16-year-old was not a morning person. As you can imagine, I was running a little bit behind. And so, when you're running a little bit behind, what do you do when you're driving? No, you're not supposed to do that. But I did. <laughs> and the police officer confirmed that that was the case when he pulled me over. <laughs> uh, and he said something like this. Young man, you were speeding, and that's why I pulled you over. And I got to tell you, my heart dropped into my stomach, and I was shaking, and I was grabbing my registration and everything he needed, and I was like this. He was gone for about 10 minutes while I suffered and thought of why my boss is going to be mad, why didn't I leave earlier, all of those things that you think when you're pulled over. <laughs> and he came back and he said, you deserve a ticket. You were speeding. You were going well over the speed limit, and you deserve a ticket. But today is your lucky day, he said. I'm not going to give you a ticket if you tell me that you're going to slow down. Oh, absolutely, sir, I will. I will slow down. And he didn't give me a ticket. He extended mercy. What I deserved was a ticket. What he gave me was freedom. He didn't give me what I deserved. I share that to say that, that that, again, is a working definition of the idea of mercy. But when we look at it in the context, how is it that Elizabeth doesn't get what she deserves? That, that doesn't seem right. So we need to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, we need to understand a fuller context. What is the fuller context? Well, the fuller context is this, that sin separates us from God. In fact, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. That this sin equals death, and we've all sinned. And so even in this case, there is a certain amount of death that could be extended. But that's not what Elizabeth gets. Let me pause there, lest we're not on the same page with a definition. Biblically, when we look at the term death, we, want, we need to recognize that the word death doesn't just mean not breathing. That's not the intention uh, primarily. But rather that death means separation from God. Death means separation from God. It's how it was given in Genesis. In the day that you, sure, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Uh, God gives this message to Adam. But he goes on to live another 900 years or so. So how did that work? Well, what do we see in the garden? We see that Adam leaves the presence of God. Death, therefore, is separation from God. What does Elizabeth deserve? Well, because of sin, which we're all guilty of, she deserves death. But God doesn't give death. And in fact, in this specific situation, God extends in a very real and physical way, he extends and gives life to her. 
this idea of mercy is played out throughout the scriptures and seen through a variety of imagery. In the Psalms, we see God as a heavenly father who loves his children and pities them and their situation. In Hosea, we see him as a father who loves his rebellious children and we see him as a husband who loves his adulterous spouse and calls her back to himself. In Isaiah, we see him as a compassionate parent who cares for this helpless child. Mercy is seen in imagery throughout the scriptures, not getting what we deserve, but rather extending life because in God's kingdom, life is what is perpetuated in the kingdom of man. It's death. So let's look at Elizabeth in context. Elizabeth in context as a woman who is childless would have been as if God was judging her. As if God was not just judging her, but but God has already sentenced her. You're not going to have a child. You're not going to have a child that, uh, that will care for you. And publicly in that culture would have been pretty embarrassing. It would have been a sign of uh, not having God's blessing. So for Elizabeth to have gone all of these years without a child would have been humiliating. And yet, in her old age, God blesses her. God extends mercy. He gives life instead of death. He withholds something that she should have gotten. Mercy. And look what happens. As mercy is extended, watch the response of the people around her. The people rejoiced with her. Those who are uh, around her in connection, the idea here in the Greek is to participate in Specifically, participate in someone else's joy. There is something that is really good that has taken place, and they are participating with them. The word actually can also mean to participate in laughter as well. So not in a scoffing sort of way, not in a a negative sort of way, but in in a joyful, in a thankful, in a celebratory type of way that, uh, that this person or these people are joining in in this laughter and in this joy. And that actually matters a lot because words matter. And Luke, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is a genius at weaving this narrative together from Old Testament to New Testament to let us see the plight of a group of people uh, who God has uniquely used and the next chapter of how God is uniquely going to use and give life to the Gentiles who haven't known this God at all. And so, as I said, the word means laughter. And there's already a connection with Elizabeth and someone else from the Old Testament, Sarah, right? I already mentioned that. What was Sarah's child's name? Do you remember? What is it? Isaac. Yep. Uh, Isaac. It means laughter. It, it, it's kind of like in, in English where we would talk about laughter, and we go, ha, 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 ha. I don't know. In Hebrew, they would go, Isaac, 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 <laughs> Isaac. Uh, I'm not sure if that's how exactly they did it, but <laughs> Isaac means laughter, or he laughed. That's especially important because Isaac goes on to have a child named Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. 
Israel becomes a light to the nations, an example that the nations look and see. Look at their God who delivers, who extends life, who gives life, who cares for his people. And Isaac represents that. See, Isaac precedes Jacob just like John precedes Jesus, Jesus being the light, the actual light of the world, the one that they've been anticipating, the one who we actually get life from, not just from an observational sort of way, but an experiential sort of way. We get this, we get this from John. And through the writings of Luke, empowered by the Holy Spirit, those around see that Elizabeth gets mercy and they join in the joy, in the celebration, and they rejoice. But it doesn't just end there. There's more. The Lord unites this couple with the same message. It's one message. Do you remember? They go to Elizabeth, and what is the child's name going to be? And she says, John. And they're like, hmm, are you sure about that? Nobody in your family uh, is named John, and your husband's not named John. John seems like a bad idea. Let's confirm this with your husband, Zachariah. So they go to Zachariah and they say, what's your child's name going to be? And he says, John, well, he writes it down, John, right? Their, their message is united. By the way, John's name means Yahweh is a gracious giver. God is a gracious giver. And this message comes together with both of them as they are obedient and follow the Lord in this moment. And they name him John, just like the angel told them to do. And in that moment, their message is the same. God is a gracious giver, not just to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but also to the world. And this gracious giver is going to point the world to the Christ who is to come. This gracious giver has a message, and it's a message of God's grace. Not just the mercy of God that he doesn't give us what we deserve, but the grace of God that he gives us what we don't deserve, life. Uniquely in God's kingdom is not death, but is life. And life is extended through the message, through the ministry, through the life of John as His name and life exemplifies God, Yahweh, is a gracious giver. This message is unique and specific. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But we also want to identify that their unity caused wonder. When Zechariah responds the same way that his wife does, though they're separated uh, seemingly in the moment, it causes wonder. And it's not wonder like, hmm, I got to think about that. It's wonder that's associated with another term, miracle. This is, this is miraculous, that their message can be so connected. That though they're different, though they're older, their message is the same, that God is a gracious giver. This is miraculous. And their thoughts and their attitudes point us to God. Because after all, it's God who fulfills the Lord fulfills his word with Zechariah. <clears throat> Remember that Zechariah doesn't exactly believe the angel. Hey, that's nice that you showed up in the temple. It's nice that you're telling me these things, but I'm going to need a little more from you, angel. 
And the angel says, okay, how about this? You won't be able to speak until all of these things take place. Well, that's not really the sign I was looking for. <laughs> but that's what happens. And after these things take place, he gets, to, he, he gets his uh, voice back. He's able to verbalize things again. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesies, as you heard Jake share just a little bit ago. To fulfill Scripture is to do what the Scripture says. And God is always faithful. Hundreds, hundreds of prophecies about the coming Messiah fulfilled. God has been faithful. He does what he says he'll do. There's one more coming, and that's that he's coming back. He's returning for his church, and God is faithful. And if he's willing to, to fulfill hundreds of prophecies, do you think he'll fulfill this other one? You betcha. And we're anticipating him. We're looking forward to him because God fulfills his word. And he's calling us to follow him in obedience to fulfill the word. To do what it says. Words matter. And Luke is weaving together a message that connects the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I would say by the power of the Holy Spirit is connecting us even today. Zechariah blessed God. Oh, that's such a, an abstract concept. In the New Testament, we would get the idea to bless somebody as, or to be blessed. is kind of like being happy. It has that flavor. It's not wrong, it's, but it doesn't, it, it's not complete. When we first started the series, one of the techniques uh, to ex exposition that I shared with us was the principle of first mention. The principle of first mention. So when you see a word, you can go back and look at the first time the word is used in the context that it's used, and it helps you to understand the meaning a little bit better. This is one of those times. Blessed is an abstract term for us, but not so much uh, for the Hebrew mind. In fact is, in Genesis chapter 1, around verse 22, it's used the first time. Blessed. God blessed them to be fruitful and multiply, talking about his creation in day five. What does it mean? Well, it means that he's calling them to multiply the characteristics that he identified as good, he wants perpetuated. He wants, uh, he wants another word would be magnified. For Zechariah to see God's mercy to recognize the rejoicing that's going around him, to be unified and clear in message, to experience the wonder, the miracles of God, to see God fulfill what he's done. He wants to magnify God because everything about God is good. His characteristics are good. And so he wants to magnify him. He wants God to be multiplied. He wants God to be big in his life. And he uses his word and he uses his testimony to do that. And so, with that in mind, I want to ask us some questions. Okay, six of them. And those six questions, I want to challenge us as we prepare our hearts for communion to really consider. Uh, to maybe even wrestle with through this holiday season, that as we have unique opportunities, as we gather together with our families and our friends, as we celebrate the, the first advent of Christ as he came in the flesh and look forward to the second advent, him returning, that we ask these questions and give some answers. 
Here are the questions. How will we discern God's mercy at work around us? How will we discern God's mercy at work around us? We deserve, if, if the scriptures are true, and I suggest they are, and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death, therefore we all deserve death, but God's mercy withholds death, and many times his grace is implied, and he gives life. How will we discern God's mercy around us? How will we see that? And the question is that, uh, that we, ask, or I'm sorry, the prayer is that we ask God, God, give us eyes to see this. Like, I don't want to miss this. I want to see you at work. I want to see you withholding death and extending life. And maybe that's in very real and practical ways of, uh, of, of uh, getting a, uh, a doctor's response that is positive. Maybe it's just as simple as that. I recognize I don't deserve life, but here I am breathing still. Maybe it's that simple. But I would suggest that it's even greater than that. That if we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, discerning God's mercy at work around us will become more and more evident. And especially as we come together as family and friends over this season to be able to recognize that and share that as we rejoice will be big. So how will we rejoice with others? One of the things that is important, I think, for us to note is that we live in a contentious world. Is that, is that fair to say? Uh, we go online and we, we see trolls there that are just looking for opportunity to pounce on uh, comments and words. It, it, it just is what it is. Uh, we have people who are ready to argue but not ready to listen. It's everywhere. And I would say that that's consistent with the world system, that this world system wants to offer death, and that's exactly what you get with that mentality. But God wants us to offer life, so that's going to mean that maybe we need to die to self and celebrate what other people celebrate, even when we're hurting. To see God at work. Oh, I love what God is doing in your life, and I celebrate that, even though God didn't do it quite that way in my life, but I can die to that. And rejoice with you to celebrate together. How will we unite with one message? How will we unite with one message? Well, we are gathered here because Christ rose, right? Like, that's why we're here, because of Jesus. We're not here because, uh, oh man, I just like coming here on a Sunday. This is a great building to be in. Uh, it's, it's not because we know everyone in this room. Like, n none of those things are true. But we do gather here because of Christ, and that's our mess. He is our message. Uh, we unite with that one message. Though our personalities are unique and different, though our backgrounds are unique and different, we unite on this message that there is a God who came in the flesh, that this God who came in the flesh lived a perfect life, and offering that life as a sacrifice for my sin, for your sin, for our sin, he went to the cross. He died on that cross, giving his life that I could have life. He rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, and extends life to anybody who would call on him in faith. That's our message. It's been the message from the very beginning, and it doesn't change, and it's that message that unites us. It's not the fact that we live in this general area. It's not the fact that we know each other really well. It's not that we like to gather in this building. 
but rather it's the message that unites us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to revisit the wonder of that. As we look around us and see believers with all kinds of different backgrounds, who came up in different places, who had different values, some vehemently against God himself, and yet God loved enough and has transformed. And today we're united in this message that God is a gracious giver in that he gave himself that we could have life. And that is miraculous. Seeing that God fulfills his words, how will we see God fulfill his word? Looking around and identifying, even during this season, that God fulfilled his word rereading the promises and prophecies of God and seeing how he fulfilled them is certainly helpful in that. For many of you, you've been engaged in the 25-day Christmas devotional. Uh, appreciate that. I know some of you came out uh, right away and did really good and missed a couple days and you're thinking, oh, I can't catch up now. Just start where we're at today. It's okay. Uh, just begin there if, if you're uh, a part of that. But what I like about that devotional, by the way, is that it's constantly putting Christ in front of us and how God set up this plan from the very beginning and has fulfilled his plan by doing exactly what he said he'd do. And then how will we bless God? How will we magnify him in our lives with our words and our testimony, our lives? Those are the questions that we're wrestling through during this season. And as the worship team comes out and we transition into a time of communion, I want to encourage us and challenge us to consider these things. Communion was given to the church by Christ himself that we would remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, that we would in unity and in truth be obedient to him. At Friendship Church, we ask you a couple of things. One is, are you a follower of Christ? If so, communion's for you. You don't have to be a member of Friendship Church. You just have to have received Jesus as your Savior. Secondly, the Scripture identifies that we need to uh, examine our hearts, to pause before the Lord and go, okay, uh, is there any unconfessed sin that needs to be addressed? And if there is a sin that needs to confess, that we confess that sin, God already knows it, and that we repent by turning away from Him and turn, or turning away from sin and turning to Christ, not coming up with a new sin, but turning to Christ. And then we're free to participate. And we ask that you go to the carpeted areas, go to the station that's nearest you, get both the bread and the cup and go to the outer edge and return to your seat. We'll sing a song together. And at the end of that worship song, uh, we'll participate in communion together. With that in mind, would you join me as we pray? Lord God, thank you for your word that your word matters. It helps form context that dictates behavior. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can live that out, walking in your ways, in your kingdom, not our own. In a world that offers death, you offer life. In a world that embraces selfishness, you call us to yourself to die to ourselves, to live in you. In a world where there is very little mercy, 
you display it. In a world that has forgotten how to be thankful and rejoice in you and your work, you've modeled it and shown us. In a world that has missed the message and has thought, drawn us to gifts and receiving, you gave your life as a gift. In a world that likes to explain everything, you point us to wonder. You fulfill your word, Lord. You do what you say you'll do, and we want to magnify you today. Bless your name. We bless you, O Lord. Thank you for the cross and sins forgiven. Thank you for the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. Be exalted here today, O Lord, in our lives and in our fellowship. In Jesus' name.